Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, we live in a twilight world. It's Arturo Zurita! I know we haven't fully seen the movie because you gotta be in that COVID-centric IMAX theater experience, but hey, he'll get a re-release. If there's ever been a director who can get a re-release, it's that man right there. But damn, even at home, I don't know, man. I think it's still kind of hit. Uh, we got a lot of movies to talk about today. Yeah, we got a lot of movies to talk about. Some of them new, some of them major blockbusters that tried to get released in theaters this summer. Uh, but there's been so much that we want to talk about that we can't let the rest of the year go by without getting in a word about it. In a li- little bit, we will talk about the Golden Globes recategorizing potential nominees, mm. the producers that are suing HBO Max, mm. and certified fresh ratings. But first, make sure you're subscribed to the Intercut Podcast, either the video podcast on youtube.com slash intercutpod, or the audio podcast available on most podcatchers. Also, follow Intercut on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We are at IntercutPod. That's at Intercut P-O-D. That's short for podcast. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. It makes me happier than a Appreciate new Paul it. Thomas Anderson movie. So shout out to HDHDB. BDBC saying net who said never stop making this pod. I'm obsessed and have binged every episode this past week. Really happy. It makes us happy to get those kinds of comments. So thank you for those. And art, Let's actually start this show a little bit differently because this is our last podcast of 2020 slash our first podcast of 2021. It's time to do just a little bit of housekeeping. We're uh, ending we, the podcast, we, guys. We thank you so much. <laughs> It's been a really fun run and really fun gear, and I don't know. It's not worth getting to 100, even though we're so close. Imagine just quitting. We're, we're going to keep going. Uh, we wanted to do, do thank everybody who was listening to us throughout Appreciate 2020, you. which was a crazy year for many reasons, but uh, it... It warms our hearts. It makes us happy to be able to continue doing this, to continue doing the live streams that we've been doing over on the Let Me Explain channel on Mondays. Uh, it's a lot of fun to talk about movies with all of you. So I know I appreciate that. I really uh, appreciate the excuse to hang out with Art this often. So. Aw, Zach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we do have a couple small announcements, I guess, that yeah. the podcast will be moving from our Friday release to Monday. We've been doing a couple releases on Monday as we've been figuring it out, but we'll be getting a consistent release on Mondays now, which means you'll get the new podcast, hopefully around noon on a Monday. And then that evening, we got the live stream. So we'll follow up on maybe some things that we missed through the cracks of that episode, or if there's more to expand upon and whatever came out that weekend. So I think I think it'll be a fun move for the podcast. Let us talk a little bit more movies. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Uh, in the new year, we want the podcast to be maybe a little closer to like an hour long, but we're going to be supplementing those with more Let Us Explain segments and after credits segments where we focus on a single movie. I think, you know, that's a, f- a fair trade off. It allows us to cover a bunch of things in depth more than we do on this show without the worry of accidentally spoiling you guys so i think that'll be fun for us but we also want to hear from you what do you guys like about our show what are your favorite segments do you like what we're watching or yay or nay uh and did we do any episodes this year that you thought were great if you let us know it helps us mold the show into whatever the best version of it can be 
or Donna, we will continue doing what we're doing right here. <laughs> yeah. Which is just hanging out. Just talking movies. Just tell us to keep going. That works for us, too. What, what it is is that either way, every Monday, Zach and I are on a, on a call, and we're talking about Zoom. Uh, we're talking about mm-hmm. a, a movies just in general. So we might as well just record it. And if they're watching, they're watching. If they're not, they're not. We're going to talk movies anyway. But now we always appreciate exactly. everybody who's tuned in and everybody who's watched. Um, and we're hoping to just even be more on track for 2021 with all the festivals that are coming out. Uh, I think mm-hmm. movies has been one of the things that even throughout a year like 2020, that's the one thing that gets your mind off of things. Granted, a lot of movies did not take your mind off things. They just made it even worse. Um, but nonetheless, it's, just you know, contagion. Zach and I have known each other damn near almost a decade. Like, I know some of our yeah. friends <laughs> don't like knowing that we have a decade-long <laughs> relationship. But, you know, and this is only possible online. So it's the same thing uh, that happens with the viewers, with the intercuties, with the interviewers. Uh, just that ability to be able to create this community around film. Literally from the comfort of our own home. It's been like that since before 2020. We're going to continue it afterwards. So appreciate everyone who's watched. Yeah. Awesome. So with that, I think it's time to get into what we're watching. The movies. Art, what do you want to start off with? Because there's a lot of stuff that we've been watching. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's start with a big one. Burrow, the short film that's on Disney+. <laughs> Plus. <laughs> Uh, it precedes Soul. I, I thought this was a cute little little short. Obviously, the, the meat and bones comes from this movie Soul that everyone's been talking about. But, uh, you know, if this would have come out in theaters, you would have had a nice little short about bunny rabbits and community and family um, that uh, I thought was very well done. We talked about it on LME Stream, so it's got this beautiful 2D animation. And the artist themselves has worked on a lot of other, like, really big Pixar films as well. Um, I don't know if you had anything more to say about it or if you just want to jump Yeah, to- I mean, it was... It was interesting that it being a Pixar short, it does have this more hand-drawn style. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's part of their Spark series. Because yep. I know there was that other one that they did that was like about the dog and the cat. Kitbull. Uh, Kitbull. Uh, that like also that had less of a computer graphic style but than hey. I think you're used to with Pixar. But I, I like that Pixar is at least enabling uh, these t- different types of artistic visions. And mm-hmm. yeah, Burrow's really cute. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's much more than that. There's some fun moments in it, but it's probably like one of the better, more recent Pixar shorts, mm-hmm. I'd say, uh, and would have been a really nice opener to a movie that I think we both loved, mm-hmm. uh, Soul. And also switched the, up some animation too. Yeah, yeah. It, I think it, it's the most visually daring Pixar movie that we've had in maybe at least a decade with a mix of styles too. Like you get this more... I don't want to say it's naturalistic because everything is is exaggerated in its own way, but a, a little bit more naturalistic, real world style, and then this very like more abstract look to the like afterlife mm-hmm. characters and the Jerry's and the Terry's. I really like that aspect of Soul, uh, <laughs> but it's also the story here. Uh, another movie directed by Pete Doctor. Pete Doctor is obviously the guy who had previously directed uh, Inside Out. Uh, so he's familiar with this kind of like exploring of uh, the more eth- ethereal aspects of life and like inner inner workings of the soul and mm-hmm. mind. Uh, he also did you know movies like uh, Monsters Inc. And yeah, Up, yeah, so it's you not know, just, just that. But it's definitely like more of an existentialist approach that he's been taking with his more recent forays. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, Ken Powers co-directed it. And he, yeah. I've just, like, he's also got One Night in Miami, which he worked on the script for because obviously that was his play that he did. Um, he's been on a run. And I've I've 
really liked what Pixar has been doing with these co-directors. With Coco, they did the exact same thing. They had a you mm-hmm. know a, a very trusted director who's worked with them uh, in the past, and then he was able to work with a co-director to bring in a lot of the cultural influences. And I think one of the biggest parts of Soul uh, comes with how much Kemp Powers was able to sneak in there from. A basketball joke is all I'll say that just absolutely <laughs> killed us the when we watched deep. it. Uh, yeah, that was fantastic. Along with just, uh, you were mentioning the animations. Uh, there are sequences where I'm, I'm looking at the back and I was like, that looks, I know it's a Pixar thing to be like, that looks like that character, that looks like, but they actually feel, all the background characters, they feel like they're their own people walking around. Um mm-hmm. And even in the way that they created the city, I think uh, Into the Spider-Verse did a great job covering New York. But there's just some elements that Kemp Powers was able to sneak in through here and a lot of the animators, uh, be it from a lot of the tags and the graffiti that was in the back. But just the environments of it. Like the barbershop scene, I think, was one of the most anticipated or was like super hyped up when they were talking about the animation mm-hmm. for it. But just the entire scene in general with the music playing in the back, it really feels like a, a lived in environment. Um, and I will just say it. This is a better version than Nine Days. I know some of y'all haven't seen Nine Days, but (laughs) coming off from the festivals, we had a lot of people in our camp who loved that movie. Uh, Mm. Zach and I, surprisingly, didn't connect with it the most. I do have to watch it again. I was zoned out, tired. Um, But this movie hit everything that uh, that movie tried to hit because there is that whole aspect that happens in, what is it, the other world? I forget what they call it. Yeah, I, f- I forget, honestly, to excuse us for not remembering the, the vocabulary of the inner worlds of Pixar. But uh, I think one thing that I also really responded to in Soul, in contrast to a film like Inside Out, where Inside Out, I, to me, I, I was a little bit bothered by the rigidity of the inner workings of the mind, that uh, the way that they try to explain it, how things get categorized as they're either happy or they're sad or whatever. And, and I think there's something about... Uh, soul th- like that gets to the ineffable qualities of life that gets to how how a slice of pizza can be more satisfying than your dream come true apparently and, and I think it, it's a it's a version of life that resonates more with my experience of it and I think hopefully one that will will inspire people in the in the right ways where you know we I think it's it's a it's helpfully showing people to focus wider than just like who their what their job is to define them, right? No, I agree, and I think that leads to one of the biggest things that I know we were getting questions of, uh, especially on the stream, was do you consider this a family film? I do. You didn't get to talk much about that. Do you think it's too heavy? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's too heavy because to me, in my experience of remembering the films that I watched when I was younger. I think a lot of the heavier stuff just kind of goes over your head when you're a kid. You're you're not looking for them. You're looking for the things that resonate with you. Like in Soul's case, it would be the silly characters or the fact that, you know, one of the characters spends part of this movie in the body of a cat. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I would be focused on. And I would find it funny. I think I would enjoy this as a child, maybe not a very young child, but uh, I, I still think that this is like an all ages movie, not just one of those like Pixar movies that's really made for adults. Well, I'm I'm glad that that's the conversation that's happening right now because I'd rather it not be the opposite, which is oh, Monsters University, it's getting and I didn't mind Monsters University, but the idea that it's getting less uh, Pixar-y, you know, that they're not hitting you with the hard and heavy stuff. And this one, we're having the complete opposite discussion. Is it too much for kids? And I love that because then that means that they're actually pushing those boundaries. And ones in which the character who we have here, 
uh, is much later in life. You know, he's still struggling to find his passion, uh, per se, and has a whole sequence with um, someone who he really looks up to. That's a conversation that hopefully, as a viewer, you are not having at his age. You are having it much younger. You're able to open up to your family. And I think those are things that uh, I think definitely stand out as a... a great family movie to watch and I agree with you a lot of the animation because it's not just the uh, you know the super fleshed out Pixar animation that you have in the real world but I really like how they integrated the little finder guys and how they were able to just slip in into the real world the different things that they were able to do um, I thought it was very innovative and uh, my whole family enjoyed it like even even the youngest ones who had no idea what was going on they were like look, look at the look at the cat <laughs> look, look, look yeah. at everything that's going on so um I think it hit every cylinder. And on top of that, you know, considering another movie that's out right now, also on streaming, but it's going to be out in a month. This isn't even a Mulan $30 premium price. It is right there <laughs> on Disney+. Plus. I don't know the economics or how how that makes any sense for Disney, um, but I appreciate that. I love the fact that the short is up as well. And this is a movie that I can rewatch right now. I can rewatch in a month. It, it's right there for you to watch whenever you want. And uh, personally, I think it's one of the best of the year. And it scared me. Because you and I just talked about Wolf Walkers not too long ago. Yeah. You know how mm-hmm. deep into it I got. This is a man mm-hmm. who has lost to Pixar twice in the past with his previous 2D animated um, films. And we came yep. out of Wolf Walkers going, it's over. This is his mm-hmm. year. This is his year. And he's got, and then Soul came out. Yeah. And I'm more honest than anything else. I am scared. I am worried. The thing is, these are head to head. I have Wolf Walkers right here. But Soul is on there like the cat was on the on the main character of this movie. Yeah. Um yeah, it's going to be a if, we, if you said we're being honest here, I think I got soul a little bit ahead of Wolf Walkers. I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. I'm going to rewatch uh, both before. Yeah, it, there's a lot to love about both of those movies. Uh what's your favorite animated movie of 2020? Let us know. Yeah, definitely. Soul wasn't the only major release from a streamer on Christmas. HBO Max decided to get into the game. Oh, uh, they did. Not necessarily with the full support of all the filmmakers attached, but Wonder Woman 1984, or if we're going by Martin Scorsese, I Heard You Paint Houses Rules, WWE 84, that's the only title that shows up on screen during the movie. Uh, The latest Gal Gadot, Patty Jenkins superhero team up a sequel to wonder woman from a couple of years ago this one taking place in the 1980s as wonder woman finds herself facing a new foe in the form of max lord and the cheetah who've gotten their hands on the Dreamstone, and also mysteriously uh her love steve from many years ago has returned what's with that um <laughs> you work for warner yeah. bros don't you I, I do. I'm, this, I I'm, I'm in their marketing where, where can department. I watch it, Can't Zach? you tell? <laughs> Look, uh, I, I don't really like a lot of these kinds of movies where uh, the world <laughs> is kind of collapsing, but all the movie really cares about is whether or not the superhero gets to keep kissing the love interest. Uh, I found this movie to be extremely bloated. It takes about 75 minutes just to get into like Kristen Wiig's villain turn, and it does a whole lot of meandering uh, before it gets to that point. There's been a news story this week that Patty Jenkins fought against Warner Brothers. Oh, no, we're going to talk about that. That they wanted to cut either the scene in Themyscira that opens the movie or the mall scene that happens right after that. And, like, I get it. It feels way too long. Uh, I would have gone for the mall scene. I feel like that was unnecessary. But, Art, let's be real here. Can you name me three 
of Diana's personality traits. She's tall. <laughs> she's wondrous. And she's caring. Um, look, it, it's been a couple days. I've seen it twice already. I have it, at, and I don't like rating stuff, but I, it's two and a half. I have it as like a simple rent it. I wanted it mm-hmm. to be bigger than a junior price, and it is going to be a junior price. I know some people who have loved this movie. I think there's a lot to enjoy in this movie, but having sat with it, I was hoping it would hit a three, and I don't mind changing the score. I, I can't. There's so mm-hmm. much in this that I like, so I feel like I, I'll be the more positive one because I know that sure. you're going to come in and blow down the sure. hammer. All right, Diana, I didn't mind the love story. Because it kind of, sh- well, I don't know if we're getting into too much spoilers. If I don't think they mind. We got the things down below. You I'll try to keep it cryptic. The description to yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I like that they are, that out of all the DC characters we have right now, this is the one character who actually still cares about people. They haven't gone all, all super dark like Batman did or like mm-hmm. Superman did. And she's been here longer than those guys, <laughs> you know? She's mm-hmm. been here for a very long time. People who like this movie, I've heard compare it to, like, the Richard Donner Superman movies. And, like, I I guess I can see that comparison. The movie came out in 1984. People would like it a lot more. We are in an era, obviously. tastes have evolved a lot since 1984. Where tastes have evolved, and I don't believe in this idea that, oh, no, we now can call out movies better. We'll get into that. I did enjoy the um, idea of how she needs to give up something. And that's the only thing that someone as powerful as her can give up. Uh, mm-hmm. Is everything around that love interest coming back goofy? Completely. Is it then questionable when you actually start thinking about it? Completely. But um, I thought they played it off relatively well. I didn't mind the mall scene because I thought it was cute for what it's supposed to build. But yes, it just doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think the two supporting actors in this film did a great job, even if their stories yeah. are completely convoluted. Absolutely. And when this movie works, it does so largely on the charms of its main actors. Love Chris I, I buy a little bit. I actually buy a little bit more into the chemistry between Gal Gadot and Chris Pine than you do. Uh, but we both uh, <laughs> love Kristen Wiig. Wrong part. <laughs> I, I prefer the other Chris name with the Steve character, <laughs> not this Chris. <laughs> Uh, we both love Kristen Wiig. We both really like P- Pedro yeah. Pascal in this movie, too. I, I think ate it up. especially in the beginning when you can play a little bit more into their personalities. I, I like what they are doing. Uh, but I-, I think as it goes on, like it just it gets into very kind of cliched superhero uh, movie mechanics. And it left me also with a bunch of basic story questions. That's like, the problem. Like how does Diana know to renounce her wish <laughs> or where does she and Cheetah suddenly get their suits for their final battle? Like to be frank, uh, uh, it, the movie didn't make me care enough to really want to know those answers, but it communicated them poorly. So uh, or it had really blatant exposition at certain points. Like, Oil Economist Weekly is a magazine that exists in this You're universe. You're not subscribed? It's on Apple One, bro. You can get it with your News Plus subscription. Right, right, right. I liked the um, route they were going with Pedro Pascal's uh, character. He is that dude mm-hmm. who's on the television, and we've all seen these prosperity preachers who try to get something out of you pretending to give you something. And they took that to the next level with the superpower, right? So much so that they force a scenario where he is, you know, talking from a White House press thing, you know, very on the nose. Same thing with the character of Cheetah and how she develops. You got Cheetah prints all over the movie until you finally get that transformation. She's going from fluffy pants to leggings to (laughs) ripped up shredded leggings. But at the end of the day, 
what about it? You know, it's like they're having these turns and they don't really get into these characters. Now, granted, it's already pushing two and a half hours. So I understand the idea of getting rid of the first two scenes. There is a sequence in the beginning where they talk about not taking a shortcut. And that's a big lesson early on. Then you proceed to see screenwriters who took a shortcut in every step of the way. I don't even want to get into HBO also taking shortcuts, but in the movie yeah. itself, that's a big setup that they have. It's truth. Right. And it's it's um what, what I just said, uh, this concept of not taking a shortcut. But then you could tell that there are moments that they want to get out of Kristen Wiig's character, and they took a shortcut to get there. With, with mm-hmm. the character of uh, Pedro Pascal, another shortcut. He's dealing with this wish stone where anything can come true when convenient. You know, <laughs> the, the IRS can come in and get somebody 10 minutes after doing a wish. Someone can die or become famous seconds after doing a wish. The kid had a wish? Oh, no, it's not convenient for the story, so we're going to cut that out. It's really weird, but there's so much I like about the movie that it just seems to squander. And certain things that it decides to uh, have as the backdrop of the movie that I found very interesting for uh Yeah. Well, look, I could be kind and say that Max Lord's constant quest for more money and power, as well as like the socio-political chaos that ensues, is a reflection of Ronald Reagan era American politics. Interesting. And the imperialism and wider harm caused by those policies. But I don't know if the movie does enough to necessarily justify those readings, given like some of the very stereotypical ways it presents different people. Uh, some of the like, frankly, harmful depictions of uh, the Egyptians in this movie at the like oil baron who wants to rid his land of like the infidels and uh you know we, there's also like uh, the internet's gone crazy over the depiction of those uh children playing soccer and mm. it's eerie resonance with real life situations that Gal Gadot has commented on uh, so there's just like a lot of weird politics that goes along with this movie there's a south asian actor cast as like a rastafarian with mayan ancestors there's just a yeah, I don't know. That very is right. shortcut again. Another of, shortcut to answer some things in right. the movie, and I agree. Things that don't make any sense to cover, considering the subject matter. But even more mm-hmm. so, it's like, how does that play into this DCEU? If this all happened in the '80s, we don't know anything about this in 2016 and the mm-hmm. 2017 versions of the upcoming movies. Even Diana has some different powers, like Optimus Prime. That where were those in the movies we just saw that would take place in the right. future I, I know they're fast tracking Wonder Woman 3 already I don't know mm-hmm. what they have planned for that um, but so far I, I feel I can't remember what the first one subject really was but this one was clearly on truth like the second time watching it the amount of biblical references and just truth 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 is the only thing you have my lasso is just run by truth if we don't have truth what do we have uh, I don't know Hollywood. <laughs> I don't know HBO what do we have um uh, <laughs> So I'm curious to see what's going to be the third thing, because it seems like every single Wonder Woman is going to be a character counts. Um, right. So we'll see. Um, HBO says that they made a lot of... in return. I don't know what's the returns now for streaming services. Yeah, it's there's no such How thing do you as like box office when it's on streaming, so it's so hard oh, to tell. Oh, like, wait, that's right. Truth. Are they going to say the... It's truth. Yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, again... A shortcut. It's a, for it's ironic. Um, hey, if you love Hopefully. it, it's at home. It's the first 4K streaming on HBO as well. Yeah, and, and I do think based on the chatter that I've seen on Twitter and such that there are a lot of people who chuck this one out. A lot of people who signed up for HBO Max or figured out how to get it because this movie was on there. So I, I do think Warner Brothers uh, has found some of the success that they were hoping for through this release strategy. I think ultimately, though, uh, the movie just is not as good as maybe they had hoped for and uh, maybe as it, it could have been 
a bigger sensation had it mm-hmm. been a little bit better. Uh, you know, I actually caught up with Birds of Prey this week, uh, a movie that Interesting. I was, you know, a movie that I skipped because I don't really have a lot of interest in that genre or, or this world or superheroes. But I found myself liking that movie way more, A, than I, than I expected to, and B, than Wonder Woman 1984, largely because I felt like that filmmaking had so much personality and so much voice. It... it tried to give you something that was distinctive and and full of charm. I don't really remember why people were upset with this movie at the time of release, but I thought it was pretty badass and funny and full of like good performances and interesting characters. And I just wish that Wonder Woman had like an eighth of that personality. I felt the hate when I made the video. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) I I know. Hey, People are liking this one. Um, I don't hate it. There's a lot in it that I thought was enjoyable. Like I said, I got it twice. Enjoyed it both times, even though I kept noticing little things here and there. But I do want to comment on two things. One is the Patty Jenkins thing. Yo, if Snyder can get the budget... Yo, he got the budget from Justice League. Again, for the same movie. She can have those two scenes, dude. I I know they do bog down the movie, but... I, I like when studios allow filmmakers to cook. I just, I understand that criticism. That's fine. Yeah. That's fair. I, I just, I, I, I find it funny that a lot of people are like bagging on her for wanting to, to have it there. But hey, it's bad, but at least it was what she wanted to release. So I'd rather judge her on the movie Absolutely. she wanted to release, even if I don't like it, uh, Absolutely. than something that wasn't hers. The second thing would have been this, uh, and I've heard, I've heard this a lot, a lot of people commenting on this idea, we had this with Marriage Story, we've had this with anything that's been a really big release, that too many people are watching it at the same time, and that that affects people's opinions, be it the negativity or anything else. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in that. We have big releases that when we all like it, we don't, we don't bring up this comment. Yeah. But because the negative stuff is here... It has been interesting to hear people say, oh, but this is only happening because everyone's watching it at the same time. Then your only solution is that it should be stilted and the hate should come in waves. It's all coming at the same time. Your thoughts on that, Zach? To an extent, I get it because, you know, I I give the example of myself. I'm not a person who would have seen Wonder Woman opening day if it was in theaters, but because it was in my home, I watched it on Christmas. And Mm -hmm. I gave my feedback and in the form of negative tweets and That's letterbox fine. reviews but but it's it's i think that is what is inspiring maybe some more of the negative reactions the fact that it is so easily accessible it's fine and i would have gotten around to wonder woman and lodged my complaints anyway it's just that because it's on hbo max it was easier for me to do it day one Mm -hmm. than it would have been if it was in theaters you think that's a bad thing that's the only difference i don't think that's a bad thing i think some people for some people it's a bad thing uh for people who want to hear you know nothing but praise around a movie that's a bad thing yeah yeah but uh, you know for me i like hearing from a variety of people on a movie and if that means that it's not all opinions that I agree with. That's fine, too. Mm-hmm. And I've, it's usually on the audience. It's like, oh, what does the audience know? But the Rotten Tomato critics who are approved on there, I think that was the big one. And we'll get to that yeah. in a little bit. But it's how that changed. Um, yeah. The Wonder Woman. Yeah. We will get back to that. It's on there. We, yeah. Uh, we will get that back to that and back to Wonder Woman in a bit. Uh, but let's also talk about some of the movies that we've missed over the last couple of weeks. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom came out since we last had a podcast. And I think that's a movie that we both enjoyed, although maybe uh, not as much as uh, we 
wanted to or maybe that uh, it hopes we would in uh, in terms of its impending awards campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the second August Wilson adaptation produced by Denzel Washington, written in 1982. Uh, it's the only of his 10 plays about the black experience that is set outside of Pittsburgh. This is in 1920s Chicago. It's about a recording session for Ma Rainey on a hot summer day hot. and how it stirs drama within the band. Interestingly, that is a change that they made for the movie. I think the play is uh, set, takes place during winter uh but there's are, oh, are some other changes there are some other changes to uh, the play as we've noted on our live stream is longer i think it most usually runs around two and a half hours this movie's only an hour and a half that surprised uh, which me. is interesting uh, this is, of course, the final Chadwick Boswick performance, and he's so good in this that it almost sells a character whose manic behavior doesn't translate quite as well to the screen as I think it would have in uh, in the theater. The mood swings in this movie are so drastic that for me, it kind of undercut the tension and makes some of it seem a little bit silly. But I don't know. What did you think about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? I, I was surprised how short it was. Yeah. But I came into this with the expectations so high for Chadwick Boseman because those who had seen it didn't say he was great. They said just give him the award. Right. You know I have really been on the camp. You know, we've been rooting for Lindo. We really like Riz. I've been saying our boy from the father has killed it. Anthony had it in the bag. Just like Wolf Walkers and so this man came in and blew it away. It is absolutely right. a performance. So much so, I didn't think, I really thought he was going to be supporting. Then you watch this movie and again, it's surprisingly short. And it doesn't He's take anything lead. away from, you know, the character of Ma Rainey uh, and, and her performance. But he, it is his movie. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, he commands the screen all the way down to the final speech that he has. And he has speeches with everyone. That's what we talked about on the stream. This man has a speech with Coleman Domingo who kills it in the movie. He's got a sequence with Zola herself. We got two Zola uh, stars in this film. And then the man has a whole dialogue, a whole monologue with God. <laughs> he mm-hmm. goes way into it and just hearing everybody talk about um, the behind the scenes in the performance and especially looking back at that one sequence where it's practically like the character of Job, you know, in the Bible, having that one-on-one with God and all the stuff that, you know, questioning God. And then the way that that wraps up, I thought he killed it in every sense uh other word, and I know that it's a play, and it takes place in one place, um, and with fences. I know that that kind of felt mm-hmm. a little bit apparent. I think it worked here because it felt more like a bottle film. It's they're stuck mm-hmm. in this recording studio until they can get it done. So it kind of like made sense, right? It, for me, the all-in-one day thing, I think. Uh, maybe made sense, but I think under, like I said, kind of undercuts the tension. And when you get such a variety of emotions going on, and it particularly with Chadwick Boseman, his mm-hmm. character go, goes through such highs and lows. Like I might've bought it more if it was taking place over a week or something, but it still, it still is, has electric moments. And because he and so many people in this cast are so great, uh, it, it has these riveting moments, these electric sequences, followed by more puzzling uh, turns in the story. So I don't know. I, I was mixed on this one. I d- was blown away by the performances. Like you, I was also surprised that Viola isn't a bigger part of this movie. Like so much so that I think she should be a supporting actress candidate this year rather than lead, as many are pushing her. But. You know, I guess that's why I'm not in Netflix marketing. Yeah, but, uh, I, I still think she's lead 
it just was surprising to see she wasn't um, more of the movie. Like, they are mm-hmm. pretty evenly split half and half from the sequences where she's getting ready to perform. And even more so, it's it's her character is coming up against all this backlash, all this push that she feels. And I really enjoyed that of her character. But again, yeah, the other half is just covering what's going on with uh, the band and Chadwick Boseman. I thought she did a great job, though. Mm-hmm. The only criticism I had was in the lip syncing. I could tell in the lip syncing... Um, but I actually really liked her character. Even in the discussions of people talking about how, oh, she's too bossy, she's too much of a diva. But the idea of she has gained this much success. She knows mm-hmm. that the people who she is making these records for, they're, they're just there to cash out, right? So if she wants her damn Coke, they're going to get that Coke, which she drank all in one take as well. Um, I found her character fascinating and how it parallels also with uh, Chadwick Boseman's character who, like, he wants to do things his way. There's a whole back and forth that he has with... Um, if it wasn't Coleman, um, let me check over here, uh, Glenn Turman, who also played Toledo in the yeah. play. They have that back and forth about when you're a fool, when you're not a fool. Um, and you see the different ideologies that both of them have. She's already in it. She has made it. He wants to start his band. And it's this difference of she's not going to take anything while he's willing to take a little bit because he sees his future is right there. Right. That is fascinating stuff. And I'm surprised that we only had 90 minutes of it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was really hoping that this was, I was surprised that this wasn't any longer um, considering right. fences, I think, pushed the two hour mark, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Denzel produces as well. And I know he's talked about how he wants to adapt all of the plays. He wants this next one uh, to, I believe he said he wants Barry Jenkins to direct. He wants his own son in there to also be a star. I think Sam Jackson. So he says he's going to do all 10. We're barely at number three. Uh, I'm excited to see what else he has in store. Yeah, definitely. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I'm sure we'll talk more about it as we get closer to awards season because those performances are definitely going to stick around. Also on Netflix, I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about Midnight Sky. I haven't had no. a chance to see the latest <laughs> from George Clooney. What do you I, say? I think that says a little bit about it right there. But yeah, George Clooney's new space drama. It feels like a DVD rental that you would <laughs> ignore, but you don't because it says starring and directed by George Clooney. Right. My mom loved... Okay, it's, I mean, I don't know what other barometer you need, right? Forget the critic barometer. My mama loves George Clooney. She didn't finish the movie. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. She finished Greenland, though. Oh, yeah. Do you want to talk about Greenland a little sure, bit? Sure, let's talk about Greenland. Uh, you got the chance uh, to check it out, too, right? Right. Rick Roman Wah. Wah? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, directed this one. He has done a few other movies that are kind of in this, like... Uh, big action department like angel has fallen before this oh, this Butler. is more in the uh yeah this is more in the like apocalyptic you know 2012 day after tomorrow genre of films uh this one is about a family the father played by gerard butler as they struggle to hide or, or rush or find a safe place uh f- during a cataclysmic meteor shower and you know what i think these movies sometimes are thought about as a little bit trashy because they can be these effects-driven spectacles and not really spend time exploring character or th- greater themes. But I found myself surprisingly won over by this story. 
Bro, I rented this bad boy for $19.99. I didn't think it was going to come out. This thing, I have screenshots of how many times it got delayed. This thing took more turns than this man did driving away to get to his spot. I enjoyed it as well. This would have been fun to have seen in theaters. It was shot yeah. to be in IMAX, to be in Dolby. And I saw Angel Has Fallen. Didn't love it. But this man, the director, has been working with uh, Butler from that one. Brought the same team for this one. They're working on the next movie, which... I believe it's pronounced Kandahar, Kandahar. He's brought the same VFX team, cinematographer, like composer. They have, they've been working together. They got this nice little machine going on. And for Angel Has Fallen, that was greatly mixed in Dolby. This would have been phenomenal to have seen in Dolby. But like you said, originally it was supposed to be, it's the same script by Chris Sparling. Uh, but originally I believe he was going to have, what's his name who did Chappie? Neil Blomkamp? Neil Blomkamp was going to direct this movie, and I think somebody else was going to star in it. Um, Obviously, it didn't work out, so then they got the team back from Angel Has Fallen. Um, And I enjoyed it. The writer talked about it being uh, inspired more by The Impossible than Armageddon, and I think you could definitely feel that there. I don't think it reaches the levels of The Impossible, which is one of my personal favorite movies. Uh, Shout out Tom Holland, where he originally started right there. And I think it succeeds in that factor of it's supposed to be a family drama within this cataclysmic event right so my question to you is if you got that warning on the cell phone from the president you give me the coordinates i mean i need to know where to go they wouldn't have let you in i would have 3d printed i would have 3d printed that bracelet the moment you got it dude There's no, I mean, I think you're right, though, that, that talking about how it's focused on the family, because, you know, like I was saying, these movies are often focused on the destruction and look you at get this that. gigantic building that is falling down. And, and this really focuses on the horror of finding out, like, there is an impending disaster. Your neighbors are are, are going to be not uh, invited along with you. Uh-huh. Like, can you navigate humanity? It, it's one of those movies. It's like the walking dead of apocalypse movies where the scariest thing isn't the disaster, but the people around you. I thought that was really effective and a smart choice. Uh, you know, we're not, we haven't gotten a lot of these like big loud action movies this year. And this is probably one of the more satisfying ones I've seen in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it as well. I thought it was a very uh, engaging movie. Again, would have been great to see in theaters. Um, but on top of that, uh, shout out Andrew Bachelor, King Bach himself, or King Batch. Sorry, I always get corrected on that one. Yo, look, I'm not always a fan of the guy, but damn, this is probably the biggest movie that he's been in. Granted, yeah. he was in it probably less than a length of a vine would have been. Uh, but shout out to him. Yeah, seeing him come up from social media all the way down to this big, these big action uh, set pieces. So uh, that was cool to see. And look, um, who was the actress in this movie? Marina Bacharin. That was my biggest problem in the movie, man. They wrote some yeah. really goofy stuff. There is a car sequence in this movie with Pam's ex. I... I was just questioning that sequence right there. But uh, Gerard Butler, he has no superpowers, yet he's still being that father figure who's supposed to be the everyday man trying to get the stuff done. Um, It was enjoyable. Uh, It will be out on HBO Max is what I've heard. People had pitched it being on Prime. I don't know about that, but I heard that a deal was cut with HBO Max for 2021. So if you want to wait on it, not spend the $19.99, HBO Max may have it. They're going to have a lot of cinematic stuff. They're streaming in 4K. Uh, A little bit of patience. You can get it. Comfort of your own home. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get around to that whenever it is available on a streaming service. 
Did you want to talk at all about the third season of Cobra Kai, which I know you've got around to? It'll I be did available catch Cobra by the time Kai. This podcast yeah, is up. they sent it to us early. You know, they were like, well, usually it's us hunting down. They're like, they reached out to us and they're releasing mm-hmm. it early as well. Um, Cobra Kai started off as a YouTube original and it was a very interesting mm-hmm. idea because just like Netflix was willing to give money to anyone because they're starting, YouTube did the exact same thing. But they also just did not care what you were making. It could have been anything. This mm-hmm. is like a PG show where they say the F word. It is like a really cringy, nerdy show that's also about macho-ness. It's a very mm. weird amalgamation. I know it's not going to be for everyone, but a lot of people love this show. I, I was able to review the first season. Yeah, show. a lot of people. I was able to review the first season, uh, did a little LME on it way back in the day. Uh, recently just bought all the Karate Kids because I want to make a bigger video catching up on season two and season three. I thought season two ended at a pretty climactic point. Season three drags it out a bit. I will say this about season three without getting into too many spoilers. They drag out a lot of sequences. uh, And the big difference here is that while the first two was a part of YouTube, YouTube released the show and Netflix picked it up. So now it is a Sony by Netflix production. I have marked down every Netflix product placement throughout all of their stuff. You can say it's not product placement. Uh, You can search it up online. But you can tell when In-N-Out is a product placement for Netflix when it shows up in every Netflix original. Yo, Cobra Kai Season 3 got every advertisement possible. There are sequences, I kid you not, Zach, where someone's talking about like a really big decision that needs to be made with, with, with a professional. He needs in there helping them. And he goes, I mean, I just, I wish you guys the best. Oh my gosh, are these, are these your own lemons? No, it's... Simply, whatever it was, I'm not sponsored by them. Bro, it was that ridiculous. And all of this builds up to the finale where they needed a song that would have perfectly played with whatever happens in the finale. And you would have thought, man, all of these advertisements for sure. We've had three to four every single episode. They're going to be able to get, it's a cover of a really famous song. That always feels like a cheap move. Another cheap move that people made. My brother was really upset. He was like, yo, the cliffhanger at two at the end of season two isn't answered till episode eight. <laughs> it is a very dragged out season. I don't like seeing a dragged out season that's also stuffed with a lot of advertising. There's still mm-hmm. stuff that happens, um, but it is clearly the weakest of the three. But it could be a really good setup for season four. I'm not sure how long they're continuing it. Um, it still has some of the fun moments well, here Netflix and there. Netflix just picked it up, so you'd have to assume... More than one season, at least. It's like like getting a new engine on the car, right? You're just starting back from zero. I also (sighs) assume that show is not very expensive to make, so they're probably going to keep it around for at least a little bit as long as it's got as many eyeballs as it currently does. They're making money with it, but yeah. Uh, The Netflix treatment is is apparent. Fans of Cobra Kai, you think, will still enjoy season three, even if it's not as good as the first two? They'll put up with it, for sure. I mean, my whole family's (laughs) Cobra Kai fans. They didn't like it as much as the previous two seasons, but... Uh, it's continuing the story. We'll say that. And they should have a much better budget for season four. So we'll see. Should we talk a little bit about last blockbuster before we wrap up what we're watching? For sure, dude. You got the chance to catch it. I talked about this on LME streams. I am fully well aware that this is a decent documentary. Yeah. That if you have ever been to a blockbuster would go from a three star to a three and a half. If you lived at Blockbuster, if that was your thing you were going into day by day, if you wanted to be a Blockbuster employee, but then they all closed down, so you moved to be a Blockbuster employee on the internet who recommends people stuff, it's a four for you. But Zach, you gave it a three. <laughs> what about? 
Well, so I, I have that nostalgia and I appreciated all of that, as you mentioned. But it for me, I think just the approach in the documentary filmmaking is what kept me from really embracing this. And I agree. Maybe as much as you did. Uh, it, it's got this very kind of slapdash, silly, improvised style where they'll do like reenactments with puppets. Not or needed. They'll... They'll make fun of a CEO because he was the CEO of Dorito or what was it Taco Bell or something like that and yeah. throw some hot sauce at a blockbuster model. It's just like it, all these like strange choices that I think maybe like the casual viewer might find them kind of funny, but it just unnecessary mm-hmm. and, and takes away from it. Uh, it, you know, it's got a narration by Lauren Lapkus, who I love, but where she's kind of like making fun of some of the subjects, which just feels like unprofessional to me and maybe it's just because i'm like pretentious and listen to npr but like my better version of this is that episode from season two of land of the giants the vox podcast where they talk about uh the fall of blockbuster and how netflix was able to surpass them i thought that episode had just about as much information maybe presented a little more clearly as this documentary but the documentary is fun and it also gives you the quirky story of this store in bend oregon Mm -hmm. that's still open and yes they have a little bit of a coda at the end giving you an update about the store uh, amidst coronavirus which I appreciated uh, that they had that little grace note so I don't know uh, charming enough documentary about a subject that I think both of us and if you're watching um, or listening to a movie podcast probably you too you care about this subject so worth checking out if you're looking for like a fun look at blockbuster Mm mm-hmm and the way she runs the story, I thought that was pretty dope. Because you get your history yeah. of Blockbuster, then the the second third of it is this store that's still running with Blockbuster mom, Blockbuster grandma as well. Uh, but then, yeah, that third part with the anecdotes, uh, just because you have a personal story for Blockbuster, um, I, I don't think it should take up some space in a documentary. Right. <laughs> that, that should have been cut in the editing process. But uh, it, yeah. it's still enjoyable. And I would say for most people, wait for it, wait for it until it's streaming. Um, yeah. Or rent it. You don't even got to rewind it to return it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let us know what you've been watching in the comments on YouTube or by shooting us an email. For the address for that is intercutpod at gmail.com. We move on to yay or nay, where we break down the latest happenings in entertainment, starting with the Hollywood Foreign Press clarified the categories Ooh. over several potential awards nominees for the upcoming Golden Globes, which are just two months away. Promising Young Woman was switched from the comedy musical category to the drama category, making the path to nominations for Emerald Fennel and Carrie Mulligan a little more difficult. Maria Bakalova was also switched from the supporting actress category into lead actress. But most controversially, the Hollywood Foreign Press announced that Minari would be competing in the Best Foreign Language Film category rather than for Best Picture Drama. Art, yeah or may, nay, this is a mistake by the Golden Globes. We answered that last year, right? With the farewell. But the farewell still took place in a different country, so that was the excuse. Where does this one take place, Zach? In the heartland Uh, of America? The story of of an American? I I, I feel it's been talked to death about already. Everybody knows everyone's stand. I, I think it's been interesting. Everyone who's brought up the Inglorious Bastards comparison and how that. Right. I didn't know that. It had only 30% uh, 
dialogue in yeah, English? Yeah, so uh, the, rule is, the rule from the Hollywood Foreign Press is that at least 51% of the dialogue spoken should be in a non-English So it's clear language. they don't follow that? So uh, Slumdog Millionaire, for example, is about 80% in English, so that's why that movie shouldn't be eligible for... But Inglorious Bastards, which has about 35% English dialogue, was still nominated in the Best Motion Picture Drama category by the Golden Globes. I don't know. I, I think it's a fully American movie. It won the U.S. Mm. Dramatic Prize at Sundance. Um, I don't think we would have had an Italian movie about an Italian coming into New York. I don't know. We had a couple of those in the 70s. I think they're fantastic movies. I don't think they're Italian movies. I think those were considered right. American movies. Um, it's a similar journey here about still someone from a foreign country coming in and becoming an American inter weaving themselves into the culture literally i can't think of another movie that does that even more that's that's what makes this movie so beautiful it's, it's how i don't want to say it's so like, like interwoven into know? the concept of the american dream like you'd figure that this would this should be qualify the as like an american movie uh, yeah it's crazy i don't know yeah it's I mean, it's still one of my favorites my favorite of the year so mm -hmm. uh I am not for this, but it's, we already had this conversation last year when it came to the farewell. We didn't agree with it right. then. We have more reasons to not even agree with it now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so the Globes have done this before with uh, the farewell. They've also done it for movies like Letters from Iwo Jima, which was directed by Clint Eastwood, or Apocalypto, which was directed by Mel Gibson. But those are movies that are entirely set in foreign territories or in foreign cultures. Uh, this is one that is in America. And even if maybe by the rule of law, it doesn't qualify uh, the, the way that it, it could, it, it's the spirit of the movie. Mm -hmm. And I think to deny it, the classification of drama is, is kind of like a misread of the movie itself. Um, and I think part of the factor is that the Globes as we know, they try to fit square pegs into round holes and to, to get more people to show up to their award show, whether that means nominating the tourist or the Martian as a comedy or musical. Bruh, you remember like, to me, to me, just the fact that Minari's only real American celebrity is Steve Young, whereas, you know, maybe this makes room for News of the World with Tom Hanks or The Father with Anthony Hopkins. It, it, part of this is celebrity, but there's also like an undeniable part <clears throat> that's racism, right? Like we saw this back at Sundance where people were already saying this is a Korean movie when it's not. It's an American movie. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't want to say the intent for some of these people, but it's definitely ignorant. Um and I don't know what the rules would be. Like, for the Oscars, the Oscar change was best foreign language film to best international, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Right? So what does that change? Because then by the Oscars rules, the really important one, like you, you mentioned the tourist, dude. Do you remember when they went up for the tourist, announced the movie by saying they hadn't seen it themselves? <laughs> I don't care about the Globes. I, I, this is just yeah. so people can talk about the Globes, to be honest with you. That's what it feels like. Exactly. So the Oscars. And, and I think it's... I think it's good to remember that the Hollywood Foreign Press is like 90 European journalists, you know, it's and not like trolls. some big voting. But yeah. And they're they're not respected for a reason. They're, they've been <laughs> By known to take bribes in the past. That's a part of the and Golden they've Globes. They've got a big award show for some reason, but like that doesn't mean their opinion holds that much water. Uh -huh. And I think uh, hopefully, you know, the Screen Actors Guild, the Directors Guild, the Writers Guild and the Oscars will be among other organizations to kind of correct uh, this ruling in their own ways. You know? We'll see. 
Uh, as for the change uh, from for Maria Bakalova, I did think it's interesting because to me this actually helps Bakalova because the Golden Globes only have one category for Best Supporting Actress, but they divide Best Actress into a drama and comedy musical category, meaning there's twice as many nominations to go around. And it's hard to imagine that she won't get one of those spots, especially when her biggest competition this year probably comes from like, what, the prom? In Ooh, comedy, she better be careful. <laughs> I do like that. I do believe she is lead. She holds the movie. Some of the biggest sequences mm-hmm. literally come from her by herself, even in some of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on top of that, a reminder that for the first Borat, Sasha Baron Cohen won the Golden Globe. So, hey, maybe history repeats itself, but she wins it instead. We'll see. We'll see. Not everybody was happy with Warner Brothers' recent announcement that its 2021 theatrical slate is headed to HBO Max. Christopher Nolan, of course, launched his complaints at the company, but Legendary Entertainment may be going so far as to sue Warner Brothers over the decision. Legendary, who co-financed the production of Denis Villeneuve's Dune, are concerned that they weren't consulted on the decision or given a chance to negotiate a better deal. Art, yay or nay, do you think Dune will hit HBO Max in 2021? I don't think so. It they were talking about how this isn't even like the whole book because Dune is a really big book. And mm-hmm. there is they said that like the movie is just covering this is my old copy of Dune. <laughs> like that much, right? Right. That's right. what I've heard. Some people say it's half, I've heard it's less. And they still have a whole franchise they want to build around this. It's supposed to be the intellectual franchise. This ain't Star Wars. This is Star Wars quality, Game of Thrones quality, but for one of the greatest sci-fis ever made. Um, And they feel that releasing it on HBO automatically kills its chances. Who knows? Maybe this would be the one where having it accessible to everyone may allow them to be able to pick apart all the different things that he has in there. But I I heard that they wanted to uh, relinquish it from the HBO Max lineup, which is also a part of their advertisements, which brings in the idea that if you don't release it, if you release if you release it on HBO Max, you have a lawsuit in your hands for the promise that you made with the production of this film. But if you don't release it on HBO Max after saying you're going to release it on HBO Max and you advertise it to people who signed up with the idea that they're going to get Dune, you have another problem. So it's almost Zach right. like Warner Bros. didn't know what they were doing when they announced yeah. this thing. Almost like they kind of made a hasty decision. <sighs> Did you ever read the Should blog I told you about more. from the guy who runs the Warner Media stuff? It was no, the goofiest thing in the world. <laughs> it was it was literally a blog. It was like, oh my gosh, and you won't believe the other stuff. We had. He had no idea what he was talking about. He kept deferring, deferring, deferring. And uh, yeah, he... Straight up said he didn't talk to the theater owners about this decision, which kind of big, but a little bit bigger is filmmakers waking up to it. You know, Mm -hmm. I was just rereading the um, Christopher Nolan stuff that he had said, uh, and even more so the Denny Villeneuve stuff, because he specifically talked about the big conglomerate that is AT&T and uh, just broke it down. We've been talking about this for a while, uh, but of course, <laughs> we're just intercut. Denny Villeneuve coming out and talking about how it's really just a bigger thing at play is true, because we've discussed how if everything is switching to streaming and you're wondering how they're going to make their money, well, it's AT&T putting caps on the internet. So now right. it's, sure, you have everything you could watch if you're paying more to the internet. And if the internet service provider is AT&T, it's Comcast. They have their own streaming services. At the end of the day, it benefits them. We were at uh, Alina's family's house and like they started putting a cap. They never had a cap before, but Comcast started mm. putting caps on everything. And it is 
I'm very much against that. I don't know how else to put it without going on a full rant, <laughs> but I agree 100% with Denny Villeneuve. I do. Right. As even even though I love this decision to have it available for everybody, Denny's not wrong. We said this a while ago, but now Denny said it, and it's true. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, we talked about this a, a little bit in a way with the Wonder Woman thing where there's no real record of how successful that movie was Truth. right and you you're talking about a movie like dune which they're putting a lot of money into not in the not in the hopes that they're gonna make one dune movie in the hopes that they're gonna make a bunch of dune movies like what so i don't they need that movie to be in theaters making money so that more dune movies can be in theaters making money in the future uh i think that you know the way that warner brothers went about this decision obviously was done without fully considering the prospects of all these movies. I don't think they want to put the new Matrix movie out uh, on HBO Max either, because like that's you know how long have people been waiting for more Matrix? And or, they like, got a better rid of Matrix. They got rid of the three Matrix movies off of the site. Like what? Why did those leave? I don't know. But Zach, uh, <laughs> it's not new for Warner Bros. to screw up a Dead Evil new movie. How much did that last one make, dude? What they do with the right. last one with Blade Runner twenty forty nine? The, the way they marketed that it was they ruined it. I'm, that was one of the videos I had made over on A to Z yeah. was how you know the pitch for it just botched it, and I'm I think he talked about it as well. So Dune's even bigger than that, you know. Sure, it's got Timmy exactly. in it, but Blade Runner had two of the hottest actors in it, uh, that we have right now, and even that one had a had a problem on uh, on a, on its theater run. So I don't know. It's going to be an interesting one to watch because I know a lot of money has been poured into this. Um, exactly. And, and there's been reporting about uh, Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins being cut eight-figure deals just because of the move to big. HBO Max. No one like, else got that. I just don't think Warner Brothers is going to cut those kinds of checks to all those different filmmakers and actors. At, cer- at a certain point, like it's just not financially worth it to them for every single one of those movies uh and that's you know gets to what legendary is talking about they didn't get the chance to negotiate a deal like that so we'll see i i I agree i don't think that we'll get dune on hbo max at least that early uh but gal's also producer so the actors who aren't producers who still get a back end they're being completely shut out they won't even get the chance to get that check like uh they sign on to a movie expecting it to be a theatrical release and suddenly they're advertising the latest streaming service. And yeah, that's, yeah. So our last year and a for this episode comes from one of the intercuties, Stephen, who sent us an email saying, I thought it would be important to put in yay or nay this issue of Rotten Tomatoes removing certified fresh ratings. They did it for Joker and now did it for Wonder Woman 1984. Stephen also got his first Criterion recently, the Parasite Blu-ray. Nice. So shouts to Stephen getting this Criterion here. started with an awesome movie. Yeah, Art picked up that one recently as well. But Art, uh, you may have heard that... When the review embargo was lifted for Wonder Woman 1984, that film sat at 89% on Rotten Tomatoes with a certified fresh rating. However, as of this filming, the score dropped all the way down to 62%. So, Art, yay or nay, you think Rotten Tomatoes shouldn't remove a film's certified fresh rating once it gets one? Two things. One, I find it funny 
that it gets a certified rating, but the certified rating isn't really certified because it could be uncertified. Right. Um, two, no, that doesn't make any sense because Rotten Tomato approved critics should be able to vote. And when they get the chance to vote, they should do it. Another reason why I believe that the accessibility for everybody to be able to review the movie Sure, continue to hate regular fans or whatever else. Their opinions don't matter. But if they're a Rotten Tomato-approved critic, you're supposed to hold those to a higher regard, then why shouldn't they count? They should. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't the first time it's happened either. I think it, it, when it when it's a movie that's close to people's heart, then it's like, what? This can't happen. It's happened to other DC movies. Like It happens all <laughs> the time. It, it, it always shifts. So I've always found the certified rating funny because technically, you know, I mean, we're all used to counting what electoral votes are so it kind of is the same logic over here where how can it be certified until you actually have all of the amount of critics who can vote for it i've always found that funny um so no i don't think so certified is a weird word it is a very weird because it it, what they're just saying when they say certified fresh is that it's like super fresh or something right certified is the designation to movies i think that are above 85 percent so they're not it's not like oh this is collect cleared a certain threshold and now it is definitely a fresh movie it just means like it's got a lot of good reviews right and the discussion on twitter uh around this movie was about all the critics who they didn't give screener access to i believe the av club didn't even, even get didn't it. get early screener access so, yeah and to me so now the bigger issue the bigger issue is warner brothers picking and choosing who gets to see the movie in order to try and create their own oh. like false perception oh of you want to get it juicy was. okay Go. I do because you know you look at the trailer for the movie and there's these quotes that call it like the movie of our time or something like that and three of the quotes come from the same critic as if that's not a bad sign that you have to pull all of your pull quotes from this one review but I think it comes from this idea of the media as a monolith rather than the media as a lot of different voices from a lot of different places who have a lot of different opinions and when you finally sit down and tabulate what everybody thought it's going to drag down a review score eventually because you're not choosing the people who are enthusiastic about this movie. I don't know, Zach. I think you should stop the count and (laughs) just keep it right there and nobody else should count. Yeah. I mean, we can't complain about critics aren't getting the movie. Okay, now they got it. Now, don't give them the uh, the ability to be able to review it. No, that's <laughs> right. ridiculous. Uh, and again, that's why I stand by the accessibility yeah. part of it, where everyone's review should count, especially when they've already been a certified critic. But they do need to say change the certified fresh. Exactly. It it creates a false perception. Like if you are an audience member who's looking on day one at what Wonder Woman is and you get that 89% thing, you think, oh man, I'm about to watch an amazing movie. And then a couple of days later, it's changed to 62%. That to me, it time. also gets to, we've had issues with Rotten Tomatoes in the past because it's a very like dumbed down version to look at a wider range of views. But something that I've thought about is that I wish Rotten Tomatoes did a little bit more of classification. They have their top critics thing, which filters out like some of the people who don't come from the huge outlets, but it doesn't typically change the score of a movie that much. I'd love it if they had different classifications for this is what all the YouTube critics think. This is what all the people who have blogs think. This is what all the people who work for newspapers think. Mm -hmm. And it maybe gives you a better idea of people with certain tastes felt this way about a movie. I'm defending the decision for them to count every critic. Well, uh, count every critic. For sure. That's why That's why I don't get, like, nothing bad happened here. It went away yeah. because more people reviewed it. But you are correct. Mm-hmm. You go to one of these things, and whatever the number is there, 
If it's only 15 critics, right. it's only like, what? Many of these don't even cross 100. It's not an overall thing. And that's why I, I've never, I don't even like rating movies, even more so when it comes down to a percentage. Um, maybe categorize them for sure. But I think at the end of the day, that's the beauty of this internet thing is that you get to go to various sources yourself and right. see why they're, why they like it, why they don't. And it becomes a discussion. And I think that's what the studios don't like. They want to go back to the mank days where they can control <laughs> who's saying what. Are you in an outlet? Dope. Well, we kind of own that outlet. You don't own the internet. They, they want to, Zach. They want to, but and look, we we know that firsthand because this is the year where everybody's got a screener link for any movie. But what they say, they're Zach, not giving them to everybody. <laughs> what do they say? We, uh, we didn't get Wonder Woman early. Oh, sorry, we uh, we ran out of the virtual screens. Yeah. <laughs> Sundance gonna be fun this year. Let's see if they don't have Sundance is virtual be very links. Interesting. Very ah, but interesting. yeah, it's yeah. I can't even say it's interesting. I just count them all. Count them all. Exactly, exactly. They're just not used well, to that. That's about it for yay or nay. Thank you again to Steven for his question. Be an intercutie and send us your questions to get them featured on a future episode of Intercut. And hit us up on social media at IntercutPod or by emailing us at IntercutPod at gmail.com. That's close to the end of our show. Let's get into the new to see to wrap things up with our picks for the week. Art. Start us off. What are your picks for this week? Uh, if you're at home streaming, you don't even want to leave the house. I mean, you got a buttload of films, even though it just we're just starting this new year. I mean, you could watch Soul at the end of the year. That bad boy's going to be on there for the entire time. In terms of some VOD picks that I have over here, I really liked Morona's Fantastic Tale. We're talking about right. animations and some really good ones. I truly believe that if more people had the opportunity to catch this one, with the accessibility that is streaming, more people would have been pushing this one to be one of the top uh, tier animations. Uh, it follows a dog. It's beautifully drawn and it does what animation should do, which is just there is absolutely no boundaries to this thing. It is very creative um, and, it, and it tugs at your heartstrings. So I would highly recommend that one. I know that's available to rent and to purchase. Um, the last blockbuster, again, it, I'd be curious to go rent this movie. At the last blockbuster. That would be a right? dope experience. I wonder if they um, have it. I wonder too. Yeah, they should. I don't see why they don't carry it. I like that part of the doc right? where they were like, if you wanted a movie and they didn't have it, she'd write it down and go to Target and buy it. I don't know uh, the legalities there. But I thought that, that was That seems so, like a bad business model to me. That was so but... dope though. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, those are my picks for the week. And uh, we're going to have a lot more on the next podcast because we're going to be going through everything. Yes. Just everything. Are, Just everything. <laughs> we are have so much to talk about on our best of list. So we will be getting into that with Amanda next week. But uh, there's still some stuff to watch before then. In my quest to keep catching up with 2020 movies, I found She Dies Tomorrow on Hulu. What'd you think? Uh, the, what is it? Amy Simons? Yeah. Who did that one? Uh, wrote and direct that one. Really interesting movie uh, about a woman who is convinced she's dying and how she has a psychological effect on the people around her. Uh, and, and there's just this like contagious anxiety to the movie. That's so interesting. I think uh, Demi on Letterboxd called it like uh, the movie version of that thing. When you tell people what that you can always feel their, your tongue in their mouth mm -hmm. forever. And then you can't get that thought out of your head. Thanks. So. You know, it, it, it's so <laughs> it's, it's just, such an interesting movie in terms of the way that it deals with um, this like contagious anxiety. And I think 
a lot of people were talking about it as a very fit movie for the anxiety people had at the beginning of the coronavirus the lockdowns. So very timely. I don't know. I thought this one was really interesting. I really liked the performances on it. They have a lot of really great actors. So I, I would shout that one out. A very stylish movie has some of my favorite shots of the year. Just some of the stuff they do with lighting. I like that one a lot. It's on Hulu. Uh, we, we did a talk recently on Promising Young Woman. We'll be mm-hmm. working on that video soon, but it's available in the theaters, so I figured I'd shout that out as a movie that we both liked a lot, a movie I think we're probably going to bring up on our best movies of the year list. So if you want to go to theaters, check that one out. If not, I think it should be on streaming sometime in January, so we'll see. And then uh, Beasts Clawing at Straws. We didn't talk about this one earlier. Mm. but What is there to uh, say? A last-minute contender for some best-of list. Just watch really it. Really awesome movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, debut film from Kim Jong-un, Korean like crime thriller. I, I feel like this one had some early Guy Ritchie vibes. It has that thing that Snatch and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels had where you have a bunch of criminals... Uh, from the underbelly of this ta- of this uh, city, and they all come together in unexpected ways. I-, I was really impressed by this movie. I'm glad you liked it, dude. We were able to catch yeah. this one, I believe, at Sliff. <laughs> oh, your favorite festival name. <laughs> My favorite festival name. Um, but yeah, that was, that was one that stood out. Uh, Nina Wu would be another one that we caught like back-to-back with this one that I think uh, people should have on their radar as well. That one's a little bit more tough, but it's those little gems that were just hidden in the back, and uh, I'm glad you caught this one, and I'm, I'm hoping more people yeah. uh, check this one out once it hits maybe a streaming service, but uh, I bought it. <laughs> I was like, nah, yeah. I want to make, sure <laughs> make sure I have this one. I'm not waiting for this to be on a streaming service to catch it again. Um, great thriller. Great thriller. Totally. Totally. Well, that's about all for this week's show. You can catch more from me by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at Zshevich. That's Z-S-H-E-V is in Viola Davis, I-C-H. Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me at LME Explain over on Letterboxd, on YouTube, on Twitter. I'm going to get rid of my Instagram, bro. I got nothing to do on Instagram. Plus, they spy <laughs> on you on Instagram, they say. Uh, but, Ugh. yeah, you could also just catch me here every week on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, on your favorite podcatcher, I Like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed as well on YouTube.com slash IntercutPod, where you can grab our smiling faces as we run through the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of Intercut every Monday. Moving to Monday. Please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us that five-star review. Shout out to our listeners in South Africa and Vietnam for putting us on the TV and film podcast charts out there. Okay. Like our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. All of them are at IntercutPod to get updates throughout the week from Art, from me, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, don't try to understand it. Just feel it. We didn't talk about Tenet. We'll talk about Tenet soon. <laughs>